Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest instalment of Rude Pedersen's From Brussels to Berlin podcast. Uh, I'm joined today by Sumin Nam, who's the head of the energy practice in Rude Pedersen's Berlin office, and Megan Richards, who's senior advisor in Rude Pedersen's uh, Brussels office. Um, there's an old political saying that nothing changes for decades, uh, and then all of a sudden you have a decade's worth of change in a day or a weekend. And I think uh, in terms of EU and German energy policy and energy security policy, that's what we've seen since the invasion of Ukraine just over a month ago. Um, so, Sumin, um, just to sort of set the discussion, um, particularly for our listeners who are not based in Germany and are maybe not uh, sort of fully conversant with all the details, what has changed in German energy and energy security policy since the invasion? First of all, thanks for having me, Simon. And to your question, almost everything has changed um, in the sense that the strong dependency that we have or had from Russia um, is something that is now to be reversed. And there is a lot of political but also societal support for that. This means the following. On the one hand, we are trying to diversify our natural gas supply through liquid uh, nat natural gas or so LNG or through um, other countries that will be providing us with gas. On the other hand, um, we are also having a massive, massive boost for renewables, of course, for energy efficiency. So for everything that can help us diversify uh, energy supply that we have from one supplier through a fixed infrastructure, such as pipelines. And thirdly, a lot of other options are now on the table. And that has been discussed um, also quite frequently. And uh, things that have been brought up that have always been a taboo for the last uh, decades in Germany that includes nuclear power, which... Um, is not going to come, uh, but has been also been put back on the table. Okay, just a quick question to you, Megan. I mean, do you when you when you see the changes in Germany, do you, do you fear at all with this focus in the short term on diversification? You know, so we get the gas for, in the form of LNG, liquefied natural gas from Qatar or from Norway or even from the US. Does, do you fear that that might actually set back the EU's ambitious decarbonisation agenda or is it a necessary short-term measure? I think it's a necessary short-term measure. I mean, uh, the EU has been making a lot of progress on the clean energy transition long before this um, Russian-Ukraine crisis, of course. And if you think about the clean energy for all Europeans package, it really drove forward increased and higher ambitious targets for renewables, for energy efficiency, etc. Uh, that package was already in place in by late 2018. Now the Fit for 55 is coming forward. So each time there's a ramping up of the ambition. And I think that what the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine did was provide uh, a, a further incentive to, to move even faster and, and further. So the European Commission, just as an example, was always opposed to the Nord Stream 2 pipeline on the grounds that it was contrary to the energy union first principle of um, security of supply and for diversification. And also it meant that Germany would be over a longer period of time dependent on Russian gas. But the Commission had no legal means to stop Germany. And under the uh, treaties, each member state within the context of legislation, of course, of course, 
is able to decide its own energy mix. So I think, I mean, it's a terrible thing to say that the Russian invasion was a good thing. Of course, it's an absolute disaster. But if there's a silver lining in every cloud, or I think it was uh, FDR, uh, Roosevelt, who said that you should never uh, lose the advantage of, of making good of a crisis, it, it has at least provoked all the member states to work even faster on energy efficiency, yeah. renewables, etc. Yeah. So, 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 I mean, just just tell us about the about the 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 the, mass, the, the shift on on Nord Stream. Uh, well, particularly two Nord Stream one is of course already in place, but also generally about the attitude to Russia and Russia as a as a reliable partner and and reliable energy supplier. So, tell us about that. So that for long has been, you know, the, the, the narrative of a lot of also policymakers in Germany. So Russia always delivers and they deliver usually to the cheapest price. Under this narrative, um, Germany has built a second pipeline, which is Nord Stream 2. Um, highly politically controversial, as you know, because it basically um, excludes transit countries from, you know, transit fees and potential sources of revenue. Um, and this project was technically, not operationally, not on a permit side, but technically completed more or less uh, end of last year. So just before the gas crisis started and subsequently the war started. Um, so it has been always a sort of controver- controversy in Germany. Um, a lot of forces, the Green Party, the Liberals... Um, usually opposed the project. The party that has been most associated with Nord Stream 2, hence having very close ties to Russia, are the Social Democrats, the SPD. Um, they had a scandal, um, which was a local scandal or a state scandal um, in the state of Schleswig-Holstein, where the pipeline arrives, where um, an own foundation has been set up with Gazprom money um, to secure um, the continuation of the project and a project to be completed. Um, which is basically uh, had to do with the Russian, uh, with the sanctions the U.S. imposed on partners of the project. So a big, big political, uh, political issue, um, and the SPD is feeling this pressure until now. Um, all um, actors involved in this project and have been defending this project politically. State SPD um, Minister President Manuela Schwesig, for instance, but also Olaf Scholz and our President uh, Frank-Walter Steinmeier are feeling that pressure um, and being heavily criticized in public and in the political arena for being too Russia-friendly and not having a clear stance. So, so, so just on that, Suman, if you don't mind. So just... so. Uh, now, obviously, the now the SPD, just to remind people, was in uh, you know the, the 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 grand coalition with this with the centre right CDU for uh, for I think two parliamentary terms. Is it is is the SPD the guilty party in this for for cozying up to the Russians too much, or what or what what was the CDU's position on this on energy policy and relations with Russia over the last uh, ten years or so or even longer? That's a very good question, Simon. So yes, they're not the only ones. So the CDU CSU who have been in government, as you said, have been massively responsible for this entire phase. 
um, this entire Russia friendliness in a sense that we want economic ties. This has been a course that he's been heavily pushed by Angela Merkel as well. So they are equally, uh, equally responsible in that sense. However, the SPD had, um, was always a little more vocal, especially also when it comes to the Nord Stream project. Um, and due to ideological ties, at least in a very, very, very broad sense and due to the past. Sorry, Simon. I was just going to say it might also be added that Gerhard Schroeder, of course, was on the Nord Stream 2 board and then also was offered a position with Gazprom. I mean, and uh, <laughs> Schroeder was, of course, the SPD chancellor for many years in Germany before. It's really shocking. Yeah, of course. I mean, he's been he's become a quite a persona here, um, obviously, um, in a lot of boards um, of, of Russian companies and Russian energy companies. Um, that obviously has caused is an issue for the SPD because and this is very important because the party always identifies as the party that is always on the right side of history. Um, and this and, 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 the, and adding with the vocalness they had regarding Russia over the past decades, this has made them basically front put them put them on the target more than the CDU CSU. So who do you so, so looking to where we are now, Sumin, so that we now we have the traffic light coalition, three party coalition. Who do you think is doing the running on energy policy now and energy? I say energy security to mean sort of relations with, with, with Russia um, uh, 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 and, and sort of diversification and suppliers. Um, you know, the SPD, as you said, Schultz is embarrassed. The Steinmeier is embarrassed by being too soft or even too, uh, uh, you know, pushing Russian interests, if you like. Uh, are the Greens setting energy policy? Because at the end of the day, energy policy is is also industrial policy, particularly in a German context. It's also economic policy. Uh, cheap gas uh, allows you to build cars affordably, allows you to have a domestic chemical industry, etc. So it, as soon as you start changing your suppliers and, and ending a reliance on Russian gas, it has knock-on effects throughout the German economy. So what's your assessment of that? Can I just add one thing before Sumin comes back on that? Uh, and that is that it's not just reliance on Russia. It was the really low prices and Russia was ready to undercut some other prices. And of course, the pipelines provide a really easy, rapid, low-cost source of that energy. Now, these new approaches, first with the energy prices going up already before the Russian invasion, plus LNG, which by definition is also more expensive, are going to have an even bigger impact, I think. Sumin, sorry to jump in. No, Megan, of course, I, I, I would fully agree. Um, to the question who runs the energy show, the Greens, and especially Robert Habeck. Um, his ministry, which is the Ministry for um, Economic Affairs. And he's, he's also the, is he vice chancellor, Sumin, as well? He's also the vice chancellor, that's correct, yes. So in an additional capacity. But no, um, his... He is running the show on energy policy. Um, that is not a surprise due to his mandate, but it is, um, it, is, it is very stunning to see for a lot of people also on the consulting side, on the industry side, with, which, 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 with which pragmatism he, he, he does that. So um, 
He's been very conservative when it comes to respective embargoes, and we're still observing that situation on various uh, types of fuels, um, because um, he wanted to protect the German industry uh, when it comes to shortcomings. Um, he's been traveling around the world to collect alternative supplies of energy, gas, everything. Um, and he basically um, also has been communicating very openly with the German public um, and um, has, has even shown more presence um, than our Chancellor uh, Olaf Scholz, which has uh, caused also some questions surrounding Scholz, but has always been beneficial to Habeck. Are we, are we seeing a future Chancellor, Sumin, or is that uh, a little early? It's always early to say. Usually the Green Party has highs, and, and these, these usually take place when there is no election on the federal level. Um, that, that is something that, that is just uh, by time. Um, uh, it's, it's too early to say, but he is very popular at the moment. Um, he and Annalena Baerbock as the two ministers being basically most popular. I don't have the polls, but uh, they're very high up there. If I may add one more point, Simon, um, but just to the role of the other parties when it comes to energy policy. The FDP, the Liberals, they do have some expert on this matter, and they do um, you know, bring in their perspective, their policies. A lot of what we see in the coalition contract, obviously dated before the war, has been influenced by them and have very liberal um, aspects. So they, have a f they are a force and they do have a position. Um, the party that comes shy in this whole process, energy policy, are the Social Democrats, are the SPD. Um, and that um, is made mainly to the dominance of, of the Greens and also the FDP on this issue, but it's also because there is no clear position of the Social Democrats and how the energy policy of their term should look. Um, it's been mainly shaped by the other coalition parties. Megan, please. Uh, just, just to put this in context, too, uh, particularly in the German context, but also the European context. I mean, in previous cases, we've had high oil prices or slightly higher gas prices. Now we have high oil prices, high natural gas prices, and high coal prices. So we have, though, very low renewable prices. So if people are going around the world looking for alternatives to gas that are just gas but from other sources or alternatives to oil but are still oil from other sources or alternatives to, gas, to coal that are still coal from other sources, they're going to face more or less similar situations. I mean, obviously natural gas from the United States is slightly cheaper uh, than it is in, in Europe, but still, you still have to buy it, transport it, etc. So this is a real drama for industry and Germany as the industrial powerhouse of uh, Europe over the last few years, and which is not to dismiss the French or the Italians or any of the others, is going to have an extremely difficult, uh, uh, is going to face an extremely difficult situation in the future where its primary energy sources are going to be significantly higher and they're such an important factor in almost every industrial process and every mm. action, even you know, heating and, and the individual consumer uh, is, is going to have a difficult business to face. So I think both economically and politically, not just Germany, but many other countries in Europe are going to have very difficult uh, situation ahead of them over the next 12 to 24 months. Just to, uh, just to ask you, Megan, if I may, about sort of current events. So we have the, the latest round of sanctions, which is um, uh, from the EU on Russia, which is an, an end to imports on, uh, of Russian uh, oil and gas. That, of course, is being uh, phased in 
with some exemptions for countries that are particularly dependent, Slovakia and Hungary. Um, but it sounds like even with those delays, it's, it, that will have a serious economic impact uh, across the European economy. Would you, is that what you, do, would you think? I think it will certainly have an impact. I mean, oil is obviously easier to access than natural gas for all sorts of reasons. It yeah. doesn't. Most of it doesn't come by pipeline to yeah. Europe, although, you know, there are pipelines yeah. of gas. Uh, whereas natural gas is rather different. Uh, it's much much more difficult to access. You have to go through to LNG unless yeah. you're getting it from Norway, Algeria, etc. Yeah. Um, but I think it's going to be very difficult. Uh, the oil, though, as I said, and this is why these sanctions have been eased in, first with coal, now with oil. Uh, there's the exemption, as you said, for Hungary and uh, Slovakia. Uh, not an exemption, a, a slower yeah, rule yeah, 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 for yeah, yeah. Hungary and, and yeah. Slovakia. Yeah. So, you know, the, the Commission is, is taking this seriously, there's no question about that, and making all the right uh, proposals. It's very difficult, though, because when... The sanctioner hurts as much as the sanctionee, yeah. not more in yeah. some cases. Yeah. It's very difficult to introduce these sanctions. Sure. And the, san- the impact on the sanctionee, in this case Russia, is going to have an impact, no question, but it's going to, you know, it's not tomorrow. It's going to take a bit of time, yeah. uh, and they'll be able to get rid of some of their sources of energy elsewhere. Yeah. Not all, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Just. As we're sort of now focusing on the sort of realities of the energy market and, 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 and energy supplies, I mean, this accelerated timetable for the green transition, I mean, I think, what do you think it's going to reveal about the um, the readiness of some of the technologies that people are, are looking on? Um, I'm thinking hydrogen. I'm thinking, can we ramp up renewables? Um, you know, the EU's done very well on renewables. Uh, uh, we're, uh, carbon capture and storage is coming back into the agenda where it, it sort of, uh, it's been dismissed in the fact. So I, I don't like to use the phrase the winners and losers, but can you, do you, what's your sort of sense of, of which technologies will, will benefit from this speeded up time frame? Uh, and which ones are you more sceptical about? Well, renewables obviously have been rolling out faster and faster. The problem in the last few years, when prices of fossil fuels were so low, investment tended to dip down again. Uh, now, I hope that with these very high prices of fossil fuels, the um, rollout of investment will be even higher because the marginal cost of renewables is very low. Uh, they're pretty reliable. Of course, you need a backup, for one thing. In the specific case of Germany, and here's where Subin might want to come in later, you do have a certain amount, of, well, a certain amount, a, quite a good rollout of uh, onshore wind, for example, but it's hard to get the wind from one part of Germany to another part of Germany. And it's not just the German case. I mean, one of the important elements of the energy union of the European Union is the proper functioning of the internal energy market. So making sure electricity can cross borders, making sure natural gas goes through from one place to another, LNG is transferred from the ports to the places that it's needed, etc. So the internal market is really essential. And Germany just alone 
is, I'm not going to say it's a Texas, but it, it, it's so big and has so much potential and so much demand that uh, it, it acts almost as a mini internal market in some ways. But the uh, demand for hydrogen as well is going to increase. And with very high prices of natural gas, I hope that the demand for renewable hydrogen will increase. But again, that will depend on a very good infrastructure and supply of renewable electricity to start with from wind, from solar, from other sources. And CCS, again, I think it has huge potential, but you have to face the citizens who don't want it or happy if it goes to Norway, but not in their backyard. So in that context, I think Germany plays a particularly important role because the German citizens don't want electricity lines that cross from the north of Germany to the south of Germany. Uh, they don't want the carbon that's captured to be put into the ground under their feet. I'm exaggerating now to make a point, obviously. Mm, yeah. uh, but they're happy if it goes to Norway. So in that context, Suman will probably have some very interesting things to say too. Okay, Suman, over to you. Hey, a lot of pressure. Thank you very much. No, um, so I, I do think that obviously like the renewables, solar PV, onshore, offshore, they, they will have a boost. But they would have had a boost irrespectively. So the problem in Germany is that we don't like we don't need higher targets in a sense that we have high targets the problem that the industry has let's take for offshore for instance is how can we even get the permits the land to fulfill these targets so this is actually more of you know the bottleneck than um the the ambition of of what capacities we would like to have into the system but if taking a look into technologies, who, who are the technologies that obviously are back on the table or where there is a stronger focus on? CCS, yes, because obviously the industrial sector, and we've seen that, there is um, a transition period from gas. It is real. It is not, uh, it is not something that has been uh, just uh, invented. You can see that the industry is massively suffering and we will have at least some form of gas, which is fossil, um, for at least a certain bit of time, although we would like to have that quicker. So CCS will come into play at some point uh, to decarbonize the industry, especially chalk industry, lime industry, um, or the cement industry, which is super intensive and hard to, to do otherwise. Um, storages and um, like the expansion of the grid, Megan, you mentioned it, that is obviously vital for electrification in many different, um, many different parts um, and, and sectors. Um, the question how bioenergy and which role bioenergy will play is, I think, vital because bioenergy obviously can deliver also to a certain degree and if obviously um, sustainably sourced. Can Sorry, and when you say bioenergy, you mean plants and, and, and agricultural production? Yes, it can be it can be both and, and it can be used for fuels, but it can also be used for especially uh, heat production. Um, so a, a broad use of bioenergy um, as much as obviously um, sustainable. Um, and, and these technologies are back on the table. And, and of course, and that is at least for Germany, the, the biggest surprise is LNG. I mean, we have LNG terminals actually quite some in, in Europe um, because uh, others have not uh, had these pipeline connections we had and just depended on them. Um, but for us in Germany, LNG for years was dead politically and economically. Well, yes, that's and that was partly because it came from fracked um, natural gas from the United States in part. I mean, yeah. initially yes. LNG was primarily from Qatar and other places and Russia, of course. 
No, that's that's true, Megan. Uh, LNG was primarily from frack gas, and there was a huge uh, resistance to that initially. Now, of course, everyone needs it. <laughs> no one cares if it's fracked, as long as it's not fracked under my feet. That's very true, Megan, but... Um, it, and that has been the societal aspect of, of the resistance or why LNG has previously failed in Germany. The actual um, economic reason was that it was just not it was just not economically sound. It was way too expensive. Indeed, absolutely. Just one point on bioenergy too. I mean, I, of course, I like the idea of bioenergy. I think it's wonderful. But I think if we sat down with an envelope and figured out on the back of it the actual costs, since diesel costs are going up so dramatically, bioenergy, if it comes from crops, has to be grown. If we have huge costs of running tractors, combines, all these things that run on diesel, A. B, the costs of fertilizers increasing because of the Russia-Ukraine conflict and various other aspects. I mean, it starts to look as though bioenergy is going to perhaps have the same kind of problems that... Um, we had in the past with LNG, for example. Yes, of course, Megan. So you are absolutely right. It is an, it is a, it is not an endless resource that we have. So the, the, the point I think I, I'm trying to make here is that we were very dogmatic in Germany about what energy sources to use, and we were very strict. Um, so we just want um, the renewables, um, wind and solar. We only want green hydrogen. And I think the main shift that also has taken, and I'm referring to the question initially, is that a lot of other things are now being discussed and on the table, and that usually is not the German way. <laughs> just um, one subject that rather surprisingly we haven't spent much time on, although you referred to it briefly in passing, Sumin, is of course the famous German car industry. Um, so what's going to happen to that? Is it just the shift to electric vehicles will be, will be a lot faster? Uh, or do we? Is there even a chance for a, a complete sort of transport paradigm rethink in Germany and away from the reliance on on privately owned cars? That are two big questions. So maybe firstly, so yes, most of the German manufacturers uh, and automotive companies will and uh, have pursued strongly the electrification. Uh, first and foremost, Volkswagen, who have declared that as like a very ambitious company goals and all the others followed. And all German manufacturers have now also uh, e-vehicle models and are pushing them heavily. Um, there are manufacturers that haven't ruled out um, hydrogen uh, in cars, whereas this is obviously politically very highly debated since hydrogen is scarce um, and at least the, the current uh, green and also liberal, but especially green sentiment is that it should not be necessarily used in private vehicles. On the sharing aspect, this is increasing in Germany, um, but there still is um, obviously a, a strong need for, and a strong demand for private cars. And if you look at car sales, and I don't have the actual figures right now, but as far as I know and I'm aware, they're not decreasing necessarily they're shifting okay megan megan do you want to come in on electrification because otherwise i have one final question to both of you on electrification of cars i think here um, the member states could uh, take some very interesting action uh, and that is to reduce the taxes on electric cars and that would probably show quite a shift towards electric cars. If you look at Norway, for example, where cars are heavily taxed, 
they took all the taxes off electric cars. And I believe last year, the number of, the, it was over 50% of all new cars were electric in Norway. And Norway has the highest uh, penetration of electric cars in all of Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so this is the kind of thing that uh, national policies can, can help with. And, and this is something that was mentioned, not specifically on the taxation of electric cars, but the taxation uh, and excise taxes on fuels and helping poorer citizens. This is one of the things that was mentioned in the Repower um, EU approach and also in the toolkit, the toolbox rather, that the EU had uh, proposed even before the Russian invasion on how member states could address these issues and help the poorest and and least advantaged people. There's also the issue of charging stations and adequate charging networks, but let's not go into that. Just, we're running, we're coming towards the end of our available time. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, for another time, but just just a final question to both of you. Do you think, obviously, with the war um, raging uh, in in Ukraine, uh, there is a very strong political support, even a consensus. Well, not not quite consensus, but very strong political support for this shift. But you know what happens? Crises come and go. There'll be. There's always another crisis to follow the current one. Do you see a danger of slippage um, on this energy transition? Quick answer from each of you. From my point of view, no. I don't see a slippage because the legislation is there. The legislation is going forward. Suman has already mentioned the ambitious targets. Those will go forward. Um, European citizens have this at the very top of their political agendas. Of course, the Russian invasion has... has, come to even further to the attention to the top of the attention of, of citizens but in terms of actions I think this is something that are uh, really has, has to go forward okay great zoom in to you will there be slippage in Germany will the political consensus crumble there are voices that say so but if you ask me personally I believe there's a lot that will stick and I think that's a good thing um, and a lot of changes are to come now it's a pivotal moment for energy policy in Germany and what path you want to go but I think and to summarize it will be a more technology open path without Russian pipeline gas. Oh, I was just going to add one more thing which is linked to what Suman said and that is the huge potential for innovative demand change so new uh, technologies that will develop as a result of these very high energy prices will, will develop, I think. Okay, great. So all that remains is to thank both of our participants today, Sumin Nam, Head of the Energy Practice from Rude Pedersen's office in Berlin, and Megan Richards, uh, Senior Advisor in Rude Pedersen's Brussels office. Thanks for this very interesting, stimulating discussion about uh, the changes in EU and German energy and energy security policy. I'd like to thank uh, everyone listening for joining the Rude Pedersen from Brussels to Berlin podcast. And we look forward, we hope you'll join us again soon. Thanks a lot. Bye for now.